The Dad Presents, Episode 19, G-Love. It all starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Dad Presents, episode Yo. number 19. <laughs> Joined with me, as always, is Jay Maddie. What's going on, fellas? And also, there's Dog. Dog's on Dog. You sound you sound a little bit under the weather. Yeah, a little under the weather, right? which is, uh, you know, weather changing and shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm good, though, baby. I got a little Jack Daniels right here. I'm ready to ride. Yeah. yeah. Everybody seems... No weather's going to take the dog down. Fuck no. At 11 in the morning. Woo! You know what? You're a tough man. You know that? And sexy, too. But anyway, folks, we're going to do our usual check-in with everybody. Jay Maddie, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, first of all, I'm super psyched to talk to G-Love here in a minute. But um, I got I had, uh, something funny happened yesterday. Okay. Um, my, my wife, we, our internet was uh, not doing so well on the TV. <clears throat> Repairman had to come in and check the connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, he turned it on. I was not there. My, so my wife's in the bedroom with the TV repairman. Oh, and, that doesn't sound good. And uh, recently, the, the bride and I, we've been using some uh, visual enhancements during our <laughs> baby-making practice. <laughs> nice. And cool. she turns on the TV with this, you know, TV repairman. Uh, and it's, you know, right there, full-on porn. Nice. <laughs> nice. She just said she was so embarrassed. And... She, she told me that, and I tried to be sympathetic, but I was laughing half the day about that. It was beautiful. <laughs> but I'm good. Ready ready for G-Love. How you guys doing? Oh, good, baby. Good. Doing good. We're, we, uh, you know, again, thanks so much for the comments. Another really good show, the last show we did. We're doing two or three this week, so, you know, we'll keep them coming. Um, but you guys keep showing the interest, so we'll keep them coming as long as we Yes, they're just throwing themselves at us. we got to do it. Yeah. G-Love today. Joy Vila tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I, they're throwing themselves out of so much, I feel like R. Kelly. Ah. No, no, right. no, Is that too soon? No, can't yeah, do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jay Maddie, you want to go ahead and introduce our, our guest? Well, you know who he is. G-Love, right out of Philly, coming to a town near you, back on tour. G, we really appreciate you making the time for us. Um... First of all, I know you're out touring again, celebrating 25 years, which makes me feel super old. Um, It's amazing you've been doing it that long, and your production and quality, it hasn't dropped off one bit. I mean, for me, like... Thank you. Yeah, yeah, 2014's Sugar Album, it's every bit as enjoyable as 99's Philadelphonic. Um, What's been your secret for longevity and, and inspiration for creating new music year after year? Well, I think um, you just said it in that sense. Like, I think the the um, I think a big part of the recipe for longevity is constant creation and like constantly um, writing and coming up with new material and um, performing new material, and that is kind of a catalyst to keep everything. And and it's a reason, you know, it's as a reason to as as like a singer, as a songwriter. You know, you have to have a reason to do your thing. You don't want to just rehash songs you made, who you were years and years ago. You got to be who you are and sing the songs about now. So, yeah, so constantly just pushing yourself to, um, you know, people always say, oh, you, 
you know, artists need to stay relevant. Well, that's kind of like sometimes out of your control, whether people think you're relevant at the time or whether, you know, Spin Magazine or Rolling Stone or whatever thinks you're relevant at the time. But, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you can't be relevant for yourself and do right songs that are relevant for you know what's happening in your world so so that's that's the point right right maintaining constant creativity and relevance in what you're doing and, and that's the key for one of the keys to help with longevity cool yeah well you've, you've got it figured out so you know you recognize personal influences pretty wide ranging from like bob dylan to all the way to run dmc um and I don't know what genre of music you fall into, but it seems to me you pretty much invented blues rap. Like, you're doing something nobody else really does. Um, few people come along in music and do something that's completely original like that. And I, um, I know you came up as a street performer. Was that the type of thing you were doing, or is this, like, bluesy rap something that kind of evolved slowly for you? Well, we call it um, hip-hop blues. Hip-hop blues, And, right. um... So it, so yeah, like so, man. You just keep answering all the questions in your questions. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> but, I'm not uh, doing a good job. You're supposed to answer. Yeah, I guess you're, you're killing it. Um, but yeah, actually, like, so. Anyways, I, you know, just briefly, I was kind of a folk, stu- you know, learning folk music and folk rock and Beatles and Bob Dylan as a kid, and then so that was like kind of my musical foundation as far as being like a singer songwriter. And I started writing songs when I was 15. And then I discovered the blues through a John Hammond record, so I fell deeply um, into the Delta blues. Yeah. And then that was I was always writing, and I was from Philly in the city, so I was writing about the things I knew in a blues fashion. I was writing about, you know, homeless people and you know, partying in the city and writing graffiti and, you know, climbing around abandoned buildings and bike couriers and all the stuff that was happening in, in my world. And, um, and then eventually one night I was out on the street and I was doing like kind of talking blues thing, but I wasn't rapping yet. Okay. One night I was out on the street cause I was a street performer and I started rapping at the end of my greatest night as a street performer ever, I made $60, two beers, nice. two cigarettes, and one joint. Well, then and you knew you were on to something. I was, <laughs> I was feeling pretty good, and uh, I was re- um, just riffing on this blues riff, and I started singing the lyrics for Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full, and then it kind of was like a huge epiphany, and the sky opened up, and it was like, oh shit! I know I'm the only white boy playing a good acoustic guitar, you know, singing, rapping. And I yeah. knew like right then, like, oh, this is my shit. And then later that week, I wrote my first um, kind of rap called "Rhyme for the Summertime." Sure. And then that was kind of like, kind of naturally um, fell into that style, and, and that was sticky. Yeah. And that was it. And 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 there's really nobody else still doing that or at least not not as good as you um i love it um so given that this is a a a podcast about parenting i I at least want to ask you one or two parenting questions so like i i look at myself in my 20s um now i'm not a rock star i'm just a normal guy and in my 20s you know I, i lived every day kind of for myself and all my perspectives were 
from a self-centered point of view. And then I had kids and everything changed overnight and I almost became like a background player in my own life. So I'm wondering sure. for, for someone like you, a rock star, before kids, and then you have kids, what did that do to uh, you, you musically and how did it affect your life in general? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of said it like, you know, for me, like, I, I, um, I have a 17-year-old who's a senior, and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, so I kind of just recently st restarted my journey. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and anyways, so let's see, I was 29 when, I think the bus is getting pulled over. <laughs> I, was 20, I was 29 when we had Aiden, my older son, and... Uh, I had really kind of grown up on the road and yeah, I've, I'm kind of a self-centered person in general anyways, um, just honestly. So having a kid, it was just like you said, automatic, uh, all of a sudden it was wonderful. It was like all of a sudden it wasn't about me anymore and it wasn't about me trying to figuring out who I was anymore. It was like, oh. I'm here for this guy, you know, so yeah. everything yeah. came into focus for me and it was such, so it's so empowering. Like, you know, you spend your whole twenties like, Oh, well, you know, what, who am I? And what's, why am I here? And what's my purpose? And Shit, then, I'm you know, when you have a kid, it's very like easy. That. Like, <laughs> wow, you're here to take care and provide for this kid and this family. So to me, that was really wonderful. Brought everything into focus, my career, my social life, you know, the, the way I spent my day. Uh -huh. yeah. And it really helped me to, to um, help me out as a musician a lot, too, because I, I was staying home more, and, and then I was finding more time to practice because I wasn't looking outside of, you know, my house for things to do. I was kind of staying around home. So um, yeah. it was a create, creative time and, like, a focused time. Yeah, uh, different inspiration. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, now you just said that you're a very selfish person, and I know that not to be true because I follow you on Twitter, right? And and you're pretty vocal on social media, and sometimes you get some pushback from the fans. I've read fans throwing out that, that standard line, just, you know, shut up and sing. You know, I've read that <laughs> going towards you. Um, now, as a famous, this is a question I have. As a famous musician, you, you have a, a very large voice that reaches hundreds of thousands of people. Because your voice reaches so many people, do you feel greater personal responsibility to be fully informed on a subject, more so than the average asshole like me who just rants on Facebook? Um, well, I honestly could probably do a better job like educating myself and doing more due diligence. I mean, and just to be clear, like, to the people listening, we're talking about politics now, but like, uh, yeah, I've been pretty like vocal. Like, I, I guess the first time it like, um, I guess the first time it hit me was, um, you know, like the power, the, the, of social media and the, um, polarization of like where our, our culture is right now was when, um, a couple years back, I was just at home and CNN was on and, and there was like thing where Hillary Clinton announced her that she was going to run for president. And so I took a picture of this TV screen and I just simply put the caption, which was a quote from a song the Grateful Dead used to do. 
that's right, the women are smarter, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, like, oh. the gates <laughs> open, and, like, all, and, like, it was, like, this huge fucking, like, explosion of, um, yeah, you know, animosity on all the social media platforms, and I was like, whoa, what was your, first of all, I didn't say whether anything, whether I was for her or against her, I mean, I was for her, but I didn't say that, uh, and I, and that was even before Trump was even announced his candidacy. So yeah. it's like people hated her and they hated Obama. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And it's crazy that, like, you know, my music, you know, if you listen to my records, you'll see an overwhelming, like, lyrical, you know, um, and on every record, there's songs that are have like a overwhelmingly po- a pro- progressive, like you know, social or yeah. political statement. That's the thing, though. People, people and, don't and always and people are like, oh, you should stick to entertainment. <laughs> you know, like block. You say to me, like, you should stick to entertainment and stay out of politics. Then you haven't been listening to anything that anybody that you listen to has been singing about since rock and roll so yeah. it's like you get blocked yeah pe- people don't listen when they listen to music you know they don't really they don't really try to get the message they're just you know into the sound of it a lot of the time b you got a question yeah g love this is b um hey, man i gotta ask you because you hear the name g love and there's gotta be a lot of pressure with that because my thing is that when i hear it i'm thinking this guy has got to have this is possibly the blackest name a white guy's ever had <laughs> <laughs> And that's got to come with a lot of pressure, right? Because, I mean, I'm black and there's pressure there, too. But I was expecting, like, a Jerome or a Demetrius or a G-Anthony, but you're Gary. G-Anthony, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Quakerous, whitest. Yeah. Well, that's not true. They're, yeah, Garrett Morris, man. Yeah, but you pull it off swimmingly. So congrats on that. But there's, a, I just want to give you a hard time about that. But one of the things you mentioned, or it's written that uh, one of your influences, the Beastie Boys, and you, there's so many artists that are influenced by the Beastie Boys. What about the Beasties did it for you in terms of make, making it a part of the stuff you you do on stage every day? Well, I mean, you know, like the biggest thing is that I just grew up with them. Like, and uh, they're like a big part of like my, you know, teenage years, like the Beastie Boys and LL Cool J and Run DMC and... De La Soul, KRS-One, wow. Eric B. and Rakim. Like, th- that was like, I was in, you know, junior high and high school. Yeah. We're the, we're the same age. 80s, which is like the, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think the golden age of hip-hop was like, you know, 86 to 94. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just my kind of taste and one I'm still hung up on. So, mm-hmm. like, um, what you call it? Like, but there was this one moment. So, like, I was, so I grew up in, Philadelphia and if you know Philly at all like it's it's really like neighborhood East city and especially back in the day before like everything was you know gentrified and stuff like you know these are ethnic neighborhoods so like you had like um and I grew up in like you know like kind of a upscale downtown neighborhood and if you walked you know 10 blocks down my street then you come to the projects which were mostly like African-American and then if you but to get to that neighborhood, you had to walk through the Italian neighborhood. And then mm-hmm. if you walk, you know, west, you're going to come first to, like, an Irish neighborhood with, like, Irish gangs. And then you're going to come to another African-American neighborhood. And if you walk north, you're going to come to, like, you know, a Polish neighborhood and then uh, uh, 
Puerto Rican neighbor. You know what I'm saying? So you always say in Philly, like, especially back in the day, like, oh, don't walk too far in one direction. You know, you yeah. might end up somewhere where you don't want to be. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was in this basketball league growing up, and um, that was wonderful because it was like a melting pot of all the city kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was predominantly like a black uh, kids in the league. So, um, you know, I just remember one of my friends coming up to me at basketball league and I said it in a rap because like, and he put the headphones on my ears and he said, and it was the Beastie Boys, hold it now, hold it now, hold it now, hit it. <laughs> and he goes, I was like, oh, that's so cool. And he goes, yeah, they're white, just like you. And I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was kind of the thing because obviously like, you know, Hip hop was black music, and it, it was kind of like the. If you look at it like academically or culturally, you could say, "Oh, well, you know, hip hop is the modern day blues because it's the voice of the of you know urban uh, African American people living in the city." That's so exactly that, that's what it is. yeah, exactly, and the East Coast cities. That's what they're. It was in New York and Philadelphia. And, so you know, so, so they, that, that, was, that was it. It was a, a cultural thing. Now it's a mm-hmm. huge, you know, billion, billion, billion dollar industry. And and especially right now, like, everybody raps in every language, every, you know, color and religion. It's not so much to do with that. More like people have to stay in their skills. So. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like that back in the day. It was, it was like a specific thing. It was, you know, a turntable two turntables and a microphone and mm-hmm. it was it wasn't really something that white people did so yeah back in the day like there was a lot of pressure like oh do you have the right to do this and i'm also singing playing blues and hip-hop so i'm like a white kid from philly mm-hmm. you know grew up in an affluent neighborhood and i'm singing these cultural music so there's a lot of that especially early on and especially in you go to europe or whatever how can you sing this music? You know, what do you? What gives you the right? Most of the artists that I, I'd say all of the artists that I, because I tour with like every hip hop great act. Like I tour with Tribe Called Quest. Wow. I've played with everybody: De La Soul, KRS One, Run DMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, um, just pretty much everybody I've done shows with over the years, and everybody was like. So cool. Like, I remember one time we were doing a show opening for Tribe Called Quest. And, you know, especially in the 90s, like, like the hip-hop crowd was, like, a really tough crowd to play in front of, being three white guys, like, a garage band rapping. Like, it wasn't something that the crowd was really interested in hearing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They were basically, like, you had it everything against you the minute you, you walked on stage. It just was what it was. And... I remember Q-Tip came on stage. He's like, "Yo, man, y'all give it up for G Love, man. He came out and did his thing." And I was like, oh. "You know, Q-Tip was like, he was like big bro, mm-hmm. but like he was so cool." But um, yeah, like the artists were always really supportive. Um, and the crowd was always tough, and the and the journalists always asked why, what gives you the right. So yeah, sure. there was mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. But mm-hmm. then uh, over the years, like you kind of prove yourself, and you know, hip hop changes and. Again, we're not really like we don't play for hip hop audiences. We're, we're, we're playing for more like live music audience. Sure. So that that just is what it is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, very cool. Um, 
something else that fans will you know, sometimes give you a little shit about. It's got it's got to suck um, having to deal with that kind of stuff, you know, about the social media, about sure. being a, a white guy rapping, and then something else I remember you getting shit about was back in the day. <laughs> the, the, the episode's called G-Lock Taking Shit. <laughs> That's a good title. I think well, I'll go with that. Well, you're, you're talking <laughs> about the fans. Taking shit, changing diapers. <laughs> you're talking about the fans giving you a hard time, and it just it made me re remember when you did, back in the day, a Coke commercial. And at that time, yeah, and at that time, even myself, I was a younger man, and I was like, shit, no, you know, G-Lock, he's on the streets. Yeah, right? But now, as a father, I get it. It's like, <laughs> music's your gift, and that's what you got to do to take care of yourself and your loved ones. So, I'm wondering, when, when you did that commercial, how much of a hard time people gave you, and, and would you do another one? Like, was it worth it? Fuck yeah, it was worth yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> it was the most money I made off anything in my life ever. What? And, um, oh yeah. And, wow. um... It was a tremendous opportunity for me, um, and it was also at a time, like, in 1994, I probably wouldn't have done it, and mm -hmm. in 1994, I passed up a lot of stuff that I regret, like um, like a Philip Morris commercial in Eastern Europe. I said no. I said no to, like, Baby's Got Sauce being used in a Baby Back Ribs commercial for TGI Fridays in London, mm -hmm. or England. I passed up being the how the band and Eddie Murphy's um, Doctor Doolittle too. You know, huh. I passed up. These are just things that just didn't feel right to me at the time that I thought were sellout situations. Right. right. Looking back, if that can't, you know, I left a lot of money on the table, right? A lot of exposure. Like nowadays, like people, every artist is paying somebody right now to go find them those opportunities. Right. Yep. So it, it's changed the culture yep. of what's, what musicians and should do and, and do it is completely changed from when I first started my career. When I, and, and that happened gradually. And some of the big things that changed that were Bob Dylan was in a Victoria's Secret commercial. The Beatles no Revolution way. was in a Nike commercial. Yeah, Led Zeppelin right. was in a, another commercial. So once those acts gave their music to commercials, it kind of, like, knocked down that thing. So Yeah, I mean, people are just judgmental assholes. Like, people like myself, you know, if you, if if Coke <laughs> threw a million dollars or whatever at me and, and I'm all like, oh, gee, love sold out, I'm going to be the first guy to take that money. And, and so are all those fans. So there's just a lot of hypocrites about out there. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I, 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 just, just, I will say this. Like, it, it's fans' prerogative to, like, feel how they want to feel about their the music that they love and then and and also like I, re, I do remember I was playing a show in Austin and I was playing an acoustic show and someone in the crowd was like why'd you do it G why'd you sell out oh, man. you know it's like a really uncomfortable thing on stage and I was like dude you know like I'm a dad like look at, <laughs> look at where I'm playing right now like I'm not playing a stadium so basically the only acts that well Okay, like, for instance, like, my friend Jack Johnson, like, he doesn't let his music go into any movies or any commercials. But he's doing but, stadiums. But Jack's made a lot, a lot, like, he basically defeated the music business. Like, they made a lot of money off their records and a lot, a lot of money off touring. So, and he's done a lot of great things with his money. Um, and he's had the luxury to 
And I know he's turned down a ton of huge offers, and he's had the luxury to do that. It's like not everybody has that luxury. And, you know, for if, if I was in Jack's position, maybe I wouldn't have done the co-commercial. But I'll tell you one thing, Jack's manager, Emmett, was the director. <laughs> I mean, right. so it was like a production that I did with those guys. You know what Jack did not turn down? He did, he did not turn down my kid's nursery school. He came out and played my oh, kid's nursery school, which was amazing. I mean, that's awesome. Well, that's yeah. a, that's that's right in line with what what he would do, and he's that kind of guy, and that's great. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, like you know, I don't know. I I don't like fault the fans for being angry at it, and I'm sure maybe we did lose some fans on that. Like, but I guess at the end of the day, like you know, you have to just live your life. And um, I do have some regrets, but that's not one of them. Good. Good. You know? One um one switching away from. Criticisms, <laughs> going going. No, somewhere. keep it going, man. You write, you know, a lot of different kinds of songs: love songs, hip hop songs, songs about Philly, party songs, political songs. However, you wrote one song that the first time I heard it, I was like, "Now I've never heard a song like this." And it's "My Mom Can Surf." It's it's <laughs> so unique, and it's such a oddly weird, cool tribute to your mother. Now I want to know: Was your mom really a surfer? And did, do you have like a more of a buddy buddy relationship with your mom than most people? Because I can't imagine writing a song like that about my, my own mother. <laughs> uh, I mean, my mom surfed. She wasn't like a surfer. Like there was like we had this great picture in the bathroom of her like in the sixties, like surfing, and I always thought that was super cool. And and I and I still have her board that she had. So yeah, she grew up going to Jersey Shore and. Yeah, they used to surf and stuff. So obviously she's older now, but she doesn't surf in <laughs> 50 years or whatever. But, uh, That'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, like my mom, I'm definitely like a mama's boy. Like I'm, I'm really close. And um, yeah, I don't know. That was just, I don't know, man. Songs are just like, you know, you just write them, you get an idea. And, and uh, that was, yeah, that's. That was a cool one, man. My mom was a surfer. She surfed those big old waves in yep. Avalon, New Jersey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she had a big old brown board with red stripes. And I have that board like in, in the basement. Oh, no kidding. So I try to like, I try to do songs that like paint a picture of, you know, whatever I'm living or whatever the subject is. And try to really, when you're writing songs, like try to be as kind of descriptive. And put definitive things in songs, like a big old brown board with red stripes. Right. Like that's mm -hmm. something. That's not like saying, like, you know, I wish I had an answer for these feelings I'm feeling. Nah. nah you know, that's the kind of lyric that people would put in a song. Like, you know, I woke up today and, you know, I felt, you know... This feeling. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, you paint a picture. You, I, you know, you, you talk about your mom surfing like and you describe the board, yeah. and I'm seeing it in my imagination. It's great. Mm -hmm. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah. First of all, excuse the rain. It's it's the one time of year it rained in Los Angeles, so you hear oh, the, we need it. <laughs> the raindrops, and it's great. Oh, uh, yeah, I do hear that. Yeah, okay. so That's it cool. never rains here. But um, did I hear a child's voice in the back, or am I hearing things? Is there somebody? You yeah, know that was, that was Lewis. Yeah, that was the two-year-old. Oh boy! What's up, Lewis? We gotta give a shout out to Lewis. We can't go. <laughs> we can't leave the show without giving Lewis some love. What's up there, Lewis? I'll tell, um, I'll tell him to come back. Hey, Lewis, come here. <laughs> Lewis, come here. It's a parenting show. Well, thank folks. you. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, Lewis. He's very big. What's your question? He's already ignoring us. We talked about your influences, and, and we mentioned the Beastie Boys. There's also people that I guess have said that you've influenced and you've influenced them. Jack White is one of those folks, um, and you really have a whole realm of music in that family. If you have a Beastie Boys to you, to Jack White, to the other uh, people, um, you know. Do you, are you still in contact with him? Is he like? Are you guys doing anything together at any, any point soon? With Jack White? Yeah. Um. No. I mean, um. We're like, we're friends. I, I don't have his number, you know. <laughs> but like, like he never. We never exchanged information. But like, um, he's 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 like super cool, and um, every time I see him, he's like. He's he's so cool and like you know hangs out and invites me in and really like you know takes care of me and shows me a lot of respect and love. He's a great guy and wow. um, and I did ask him to would he produce me a record and this was this is probably I I haven't seen him in years but like he probably like probably ten years ago we were I went to a show in L A and hung out and um, <laughs> actually it's pretty funny like. I thought I thought that they had left, like I was backstage after the show, you know, mm-hmm. and there was like a lot of people hanging out, blah blah blah, and then they were getting ready to go to after party, and I was gonna go to after party. I thought they already left, so I started snooping around the dressing room, seeing what was left over from the rider, huh. like the riders, like the food yeah. backstage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always do shit like that. Like, <laughs> oh, what did they leave behind, man? Maybe they left something. Yeah. Something. Some good wine behind us, some good chocolate. We bars, call that you know? the munchies. That's what yeah. we call yeah. it. <laughs> so I go back there, I'm like looking through the dressing room, and then he was just in some back room. He goes, Oh, there's G Love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like rooting through their food. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, I asked him what he produced uh, a record, but he just, he was focused on uh, that was the, uh, what was that the other band he Rack started? The Raconteurs, yeah. yeah, he was doing that at the time, or he was working on his new solo record, or whatever, yeah, yeah. He, he just was like, no, he's like, I can't, I can't do it right now. So he, he's a super freaky, well, talented what, dude. Yeah. Um, now, that'd be interesting to hear you two be, together. Oh, it would be great, it would be great to um, get Let's to, make it happen right now. With him. All right. <laughs> hey, man, put the word in if you see him. Like I said, I don't have his contact. If we get him on, we will. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um... So one of the things I see you being vocal about on social media is um, is uh, global warming, climate change, and I'm wondering, does that come from your love of surfing? Is is that how you got started on that cause? No, I'm, I mean yes and no. I mean I just think that like this is a huge thing that everybody should be heavily invested in, especially people with kids. Right? About I mean you know, um, and of course like you know. Well, whatever. I'm not. I'm no scientist, but I, you know, the, the polar vortex and stuff that's just happened right now in the Midwest, for instance, and there's a lot of weather events that are unnatural right now. And that, and global warming and climate change doesn't just mean global warming. It means like there's going to be a lot more drastic things happening to our weather, which which we have just seen one in the last couple of days. So th- this is something that I've always. Um, cared about it and i was always like a protest kid like since high school i've been going to rally it's like i would go down to i went down to dc for the huge peace rallies um when i was a junior and a senior when they were when desert storm was happening and 
I would go to Earth Days and, you know, I worked for a, um, an organization in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Peace Action, raising money to ban nuclear weapons testing and work on economic conversion, which was moving money from the defense budget to more social issues like education. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, anyways, um, so th- this is not like a new thing for me and certainly like uh, politics is are incredibly polarizing right now and it's really sad like and it is really sad um, that you can and it's obviously everyone's prerogative but you know on the social media you can speak your voice and everybody can uh, kind of including me can raise your voice and not yeah. worry about getting punched because you're not yeah you're not there you're you're, you're in your house it, um, it's sad that we've lost the ability to talk civilly about these things mm-hmm. everybody's shouting yeah. at each other and then you know um and then of course people are like yo i was fans of you for a long time but i'll never listen to music and well that's, that's the worst that's the worst kind of people and, <laughs> and like i said earlier they're, they're not listening to the message the whole time but i, I will say one thing i'm really excited about I have a new song called Juice, parentheses, Time's Up. Yeah? And, um... Is that out right now? Well, no, it's it's going to be on a new record, but it's... Okay. It's kind of... It's a protest song. Uh, I, I, I had... I was just... I wasn't calling it that, but, like, the fans started calling it. It's like, oh, you hear Juice's new protest song. Well, it's... It, the chorus goes like this. It goes, We got the juice. We got the love. We got the dreams. We won't give up. We are the change. We had enough. We got the juice. Time's up. Nice. And then, um, and the rap is is like. I think we just uh, got an exclusive. I, no one's ever heard yeah. it before. Heard it first on the dad presents everybody. So it's pretty cool because like, and, and it just started happening like organically at the shows. Like I'm going, I go, we got the juice, and then the crowd goes, we got the juice, we got the love, we got the love. You know what I mean? And it's been it's been like really exciting thing that's happened. Very cool. In the last two weeks, so. Very you know cool. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I think that um, I just think even though things are polarized right now, and I, you know, for me it's a clear thing. Like, you know, uh, maybe my ticket sales are down a little bit because you know twenty percent of my fan base just decided that they fucking hate me wow. <laughs> and they're not wow. coming to the shows well, we because love they. They like are Trump supporters or whatever. The thing is, there's such a thing as being hated for the right reason, and I think that would be it. So yeah, keep your head up on that one. Well, speaking of shows, speaking of shows, you're coming to the Troubadour out here in LA. I already got my tickets, so you. Oh, thank you. That that one will be full. Um, and 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 I I know you're you know you're a busy man. I appreciate the time you've given us. I just got one more question for you. Um, Spotify every year they since Spotify's been out, they send you a list of your oh, most, yeah, yeah. of your most uh, listened to songs. And every oh, year that list comes back to me and Rodeo Clowns is in the top five every year. Oh, and that oh, song, cool. that song's 20 some years old. It's just got this catchy hook that you can't get away from. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, um, in your writing process, do you, do you try to start with a clever hook are you just getting a guitar riff, a, a lyric? Is it different every time? Do you have a, a process? Well, Rodeo Clown specifically, that's a Jack Johnson right. tune that, that we cut with Jack, and that would help to kind of launch him or kind of introduce him to the world. So I, I did. do get the credit for introducing Jack, um, which I'm super proud about, that I was able to help such a talented artist. Um, 
And then the writing wise, songs kind of happen all different ways. Like for one thing, I think as a songwriter, and Keith Richards said it, like you're just letting things pass through you. You're like a conduit, like a sponge, uh, like an antenna, and all the vibes of the world and the sayings that you know you or B might say something right now that's a sticky phrase, and I write it down and That'd I make a awesome. song with it because. Yeah. I need royalties on that, by the way, if you take any. Well, right, well, that's the thing. And John Lee Hooker said this, hey, you said it, but I sung it. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, well, for instance, like, one of the songs from my new record is called She's the Rock to My Role. And um, my good friend Donovan Frankenrider on his Instagram, he kept posting pictures of his wife saying she's the, she's the rock that lets me roll. And I said, man, to Kelsey, my fiance, oh, man, like, Look, Donovan, missing Patrick so bad. Man, look what he keeps writing. She's a rock to my role. And I said, man, that should be a song. And so I wrote the song. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Donovan was writing it just to say his wife, but I was like, that's a sticky phrase. <laughs> like, that's talk about low hanging fruit. <laughs> so, you're always searching for these catch phrases that, um, like, you know, the protest song, we got the juice. Yeah. And what does that mean? I'm your garbage man. My mom was a surfer. Like these are sticky things that mm-hmm. pop in your head, and you write them down, and they're gold. And then you hold them, and then you get a good groove going. And you say, "Oh, I got something for this." Right. So that's generally how it happens. And then, and then other times it happens all together. Like you, you're just sitting with your guitar, and you know you just start strumming something nice, and man, the perfect words start coming out, and you just. Uh, like another song from a new record called Digging Roots. It's about like our our yard and our house and our family. And I was sitting in under the apple tree and there's a bluebird. And that's what I said. Oh, and the bluebird's in the bittersweet. These like vines. Oh, bluebird's singing, hiding in the bittersweet. You know, so yeah. you're just seeing what's going on around you and and writing and, and bringing it out. So th- that's mostly the thing is this, it's, as any kind of writer or something, you're just wanting to capture a picture and be descriptive and be be um, emotive and um, trying to get across an emotion and paint a picture. I think are what you're trying to do. Yeah, and you do it. You do it great. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a writer myself, so I'm, I gravitate towards um, musicians with with great lyrics, and your your lyrics are phenomenal. I, I kind of feel like musicians and comedians. <laughs> are the modern day philosophers. Um, and, and I think you embody that. So, um, Thank you. we're going to let you go. Cause I know, I know you're busy. Um, I know you're going on tours or anything. You want to tell your fans where they can find you, uh, yeah. any info about this new record you're making. Okay, great. So on Instagram, I'm at Philly G love, Philly glove at Twitter is at G love at glove. Um, our website is philadelphonic.com. And that's where you can get all tour dates, tickets, and VIP packages. Um, if you like our hot sauce, you can order that from glovehotsauce.com. I do dig that hot sauce. Yeah. I've had it. And that's also another black term. You're, you're going to have to deal with that pressure, the hot sauce. <laughs> okay. And are you thinking about changing your name to Demetrius at all or <laughs> G. Anthony? I, I, I like G. Anthony. G. Anthony. Okay, roll with that. And again, royalty, so send the check my way. Okay, I use a P.O. box. <laughs> no, you use a B.O. box. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, and then the new record is produced by Kebmo. 
Mm-hmm. And nice. we're working on that right now, and that should be Can't out wait. this summer. On, Can't wait. Actually, our first um, this year, we're putting the record out independently, truly independently, on um, Philadelphia Records. Fantastic. This year, are so, you going to be are you going to be teasing yeah. some of those new songs on, on this tour? I hope. Absolutely, uh, especially Juice is is the main one. Right on. I've been playing every night, and uh, yeah, it's it's. I'm really excited about the new record, and uh, and that'll be coming soon. And otherwise, yeah, we're touring coast to coast right now. We're on the East Coast in DC tonight, headed south, and then we'll be out west with you guys and March. Mountain States in Very March. Good. Very yep. good. We'll see you then. Thanks so much, G-Love. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great time. Keep telling it. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. We'll be back with more on The Dad Presents after these words. Yo, B. What's happening? You, you notice how chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, no comment on that. Well, you, you notice. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, quite the opposite. <laughs> but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and please, so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me what, what you're <laughs> It's me undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right now? I'm talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, go to meundies.com. Use the code word friend. Buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain at any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to me undies. <laughs> do what he said with the code. Get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about it. My nuts are so tight. I, I, you took it too far. Again, wow, we got some thunder. Got thunder. Well, that's just to mark the great interviews that we get every, almost every week, basically. I, I like the ambiance of the rain. It's kind of nice. It never rains in Southern California. Except on uh, the 31st of January, yeah. apparently. He's a vocalist now, apparently. Um, beautiful. Beautiful dog. Another great get by Jay Maddie in terms of an interview. G-Love, awesome. Another. I think that's only going to build our following. Hopefully. You know, I, I meant to I meant to call him out on uh, Philly being a shithole. He's from uh, Philly, but I, yeah. but I, I didn't do it. I didn't work up the nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my neck of the woods, and I'm a Pittsburgh guy. So, but yeah. uh, I, I didn't bring it up then, so I shouldn't be a coward and bring it up now. I think it was more in his uh, historic city. It, it very well. That's where the Declaration of Independence was signed. Yeah. So yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. historically a shithole. Why would you call it a shithole? <laughs> uh, mostly because I'm an asshole. Mostly, but I, I grew up in that area, and I just. It's not my favorite spot, but shout out to Philly. It, it, it's good people. Yeah. Um, so we got parenting questions. Our favorite part Let's of the show. It. Yep, yep. So uh, this time we got Frank from the OC. And up until now, I've just been giving you people's names. I think it's a little more fun to give you their name and their city. I don't think that's giving yeah. too much info. Uh, Social Security number two? Uh, don't, don't have that much. Damn it. Okay. But Frank, <laughs> Frank from the OC <laughs> out here in California, he says, at what age do you let your kids walk to school? Oh wow! Yeah, that's a tough one. I think. Um, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, it's got a it's a kid by kid basis. Uh, you know, there isn't a set age for it. I think it has to be based on maturity, and only you as a parent would know that. You know your kid better than anybody else. Um, you know, and sometimes what you would think would be appropriate for say a 13, 14 year old, maybe they're the most immature 13 or 14 year old in the world. Um, you got to really make sure that they're 
equipped with the rules of the road, crossing the street, not talking to strangers, all that other stuff. You need to know that they're going to do that without you being there. Um, otherwise, you're going to worry to death and it's not worth it. But you as a parent have an innate ability to determine what your child's abilities are. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll get them out there at the appropriate time for you and for them. You know what? On a situation like that, it, first of all, it depends on how far the school is. Mm -hmm. And another thing is like, well, if you're not comfortable with your child hopping on the bus, you shouldn't be uh, comfortable with your child walking to school. Sure. But, uh, you know, my school was across the street from my house. So my dad used to still walk me across the street. Yeah, he didn't you think know, you were going to get to school. <laughs> or, you know, just because he always said he got hit by a car and shit, he got fucked up. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a dangerous situation, really. Mm -hmm. Still dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I come from a family with parents who were very conservative and strict. And even still, at the age of eight years old, I was walking my ass to school. And we lived a solid mile from the school. It was a straight shot. But, but, but our parents let us walk and nothing bad ever came of it. Now, here's, here's why I say it's a, a tough question. Number one, I, I grew up in kind of a rural area, so it's a little bit different in the city. But parents worry about, like, their kids getting snatched, that sort of thing. And it's really it's really an irrational fear. You have There's a better chance your kid gets hit by lightning in Los Angeles than getting snatched walking to school. The thing you have to worry about, and this happened to a friend of mine recently, is if the cops see your kid walking to school on their own, they're within their rights to challenge you on that and get um, parenting services involved. Mm. Um, it's just a different world out there. And I, I had a friend whose kid uh, fell down, broke her arm. And these are, these are good parents. And Child Protective Services was in their house the next day investigating abuse, this, that, and the other thing. Wow. So, yeah, you know, if you let your kid sit in the car and you run into, into the store... Uh, is that dangerous? Well, if it's really hot, sure. If it's a normal day, not really. But it is dangerous in the way that a cop might see that, might report you, and now you're going to have CPS up in your house. So that's that's my concern with the kids walking to school. I think it's good for the kids to walk to school, learn some ind independence, uh, learn to start taking care of themselves. Like I always say, I think we shelter our kids too much. So that's my take on it. Just <clears throat> you got to judge the situation uh, for yourself and what the likelihood is of it causing problem uh with the cops and as far as uh, are you in a city or rural area yeah i think that's all good advice guys it was you guys get different perspectives on this show and i hope you appreciate it next question maddie all right we got uh david from tulsa and tulsa, uh now Oklahoma. now this is a different kind of question than we usually get so i want you guys to, <laughs> to think warning no 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 not, not in that way i want you guys to think before you give advice here okay um he says my wife and i are getting divorced Mm -hmm. We have twin sons, 10 years old. It doesn't seem the divorce process is going to be civil. How do you break this news to your kids if you're in my shoes? Oh, this is awful. Because we, we all know people that are going through or have gone through it. And it is, get, you know, buckle your seats. Because if you're just now starting it, it, there's a possibility it gets worse. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it's civil and everybody can come to some sort of understanding. But most important, the kids got to be told the truth and you can't really sugarcoat something like this it's something that needs to come right out they're fortunately at an age at 10 where i think they can understand and they've probably had friends who have had parents separate so there's it's not something that's probably totally foreign to them you just have to take that band-aid approach and rip it right off uh 
tell them, you know, of course, as, as much as is appropriate for them to know. But the truth, 100% the truth, it has to be also covered in the fact that both you and your wife, no matter what's going on between you guys, still love them. You're still going to break your neck to give them the very best. And this is just a situation right now that is a new phase of our lives. And, I'll, you know, you'll both be in their lives forever despite the divorce. Um, that's really the best way to go. You can't sugarcoat it. You have to go with the facts um, as bluntly as you can, unfortunately. You know what? Um, this is what I would do. Okay. Um, just make sure in front of the kids, you and your wife put up a solid front. Yeah. You know, like, be positive around each other. Don't argue around each other. You know, co-parenting. You yeah. know, just make sure you guys are okay in front of the kids together. And that means later on down the line, they'll understand, like, if the wife has another husband or the father has another wife that, or, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, mm -hmm. that it's okay. You guys are just still one big family. Sure. And, you know, just everything doesn't work out. Just like B said, just let them know the truth and, you know, hey, just, but be positive in front of them. Never argue in front of them. That's key, too. Also. Yeah. Um. I got a, one of my best friends just went through a divorce, I actually finalized it yesterday, um, and he handled this masterfully, so I wish mm -hmm. I could pipe in him to advise here, uh, shout out to Rob. What's anyway, up, Rob? Rob. Yeah, um, so the first thing is you got to make sure your children know it's not their fault. That's, that's number one, because a lot of kids, mm -hmm. even though it seems logical to, to grown-ups that it's not the kid's fault, they internalize that stuff, they blame themselves. You got to let them know it's not their fault. Um, and the second thing is you, you just can't be fighting in front of the kids. I mean, I'm, you're getting divorced because you're not getting along. Can't be fighting in front of the kids. And I know uh, a lot of couples struggle with that. Sometimes uh, my wife will get into it with me in front of the kids. And I, I got to, you know, pull her aside and say, you know, let's let's do this later. Sure. You just got to keep it civil in front of the kids because, you, you know, damage them yeah so that's the main thing no no one likes hearing bad things about their mother or father that you know the thing is is in the nine times out of ten excuse me <clears throat> nine times out of ten there are statements that you probably regret regret you said about your spouse in front of your kid that weren't true or whatever but no kid likes hearing that even as an adult you don't like hearing stuff about your parents so please keep that in mind as you guys work this out and hopefully you will work it out to the best possible situation good luck david good luck and hey guys, uh, keep the questions coming. I, I love them. I love reading them, even if we don't read them on the show. Uh, you can send them to facebook.com at the dad presents on Messenger. You can also email us now at matt at the dad presents.com. Awesome. Uh, news of the day. Uh, we're going to get into this right away. Uh, Jesse Smollett. Uh, that, that's heavy stuff. Let's, yeah. let's get into that. But first, I want to ask you guys oh, sure. uh, something about uh, explain a black thing to a crowd. Oh, can we do that? about that. Of course yeah. we can. can do that? All right. All right. We love this part of the show as well. Yeah, so, and, and you know what? You guys, you guys, uh, despite being some dummies, you offer some pretty good uh, black perspective on things. So I, I appreciate this part of the show the as well. The backhanded compliment. <laughs> Pulled off masterfully. All right, go ahead. Um, all right, so I grew up around some poor white folk. Mm -hmm. um, and poor white folk, you know, they don't spend their money on rims for the cars, gold chains, designer clothing, and watches. You know I mean, now they might blow it on uh, heroin and some meth, sure, uh, but they're not going to throw it away on jewelry and fashion. Okay. It, that seems to be a predominantly poor black thing to do. Uh-huh. Why? You want to take this? Well, it, it, to the simple fact, just like you said, they don't uh, 
the white people don't blow it on they blow it on drugs and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah. that. But um blacks blow it on rims and cars and shit like that because they feel like probably like they can sell it later on if you know it's almost like an investment mm-hmm. they can sell it they can still make money for it but if, if you're blowing money on drugs it's over with yeah it's gone uh, once, once it goes up you your know nose but if you you know blow a little change on chain uh gold chains and shit like that cars rims and shit like that mm-hmm. uh it, it does have a certain type of value to it gold for sure chains for sure, sure. rims cars uh fashion yeah. no not you, so much you can always trade in a car let me say this um it's almost an innate thing and you go you know the slow this show always goes back to slavery i'm gonna just go and take it on back to slavery one more time from our existence and actually in in our american existence black folks have for the most part, or at least in the early going, been told, you ain't shit. You ain't shit. You ain't never gonna be shit. As a matter of fact, we own you. You're like animal. You're not even a, a, a complete human, is what, you know, papers and legislation actually said in this country. From that came an ability to basically prove people wrong, to be the underdog, prove people wrong, and then, like all black people do, stick it in your face. Like, okay, you know what? Lost that shit. Yeah, I'm about to stick this in your face because you told me X, Y, that you let, go run, tell that. I I am this, you thought I was that, you were wrong. So, yeah, okay, I live in the projects, but sure, I need to go get a Benz because I need you to see what I'm capable of. Yes, I'm going to have five gold change. I, I don't have any child support uh, that I'm t- paying right now, but I'm going to get these gold chains, I'm going to have my Benz, and you're going to look at me, and you're going to show... This is going to show you what I'm capable of. We've done so, this... So you're, you're kind of trying to prove the daddy, I'm, I made it. Yeah, I've made daddy, it. Yeah. Daddy being the white I've made it. And the thing is, is that black people historically take, you know, take uh, chicken... What does it call it? Chicken shit, and they make chicken salad out of it. Mm. So... Don't try that. I don't, got don't, chickens. Don't try that at home. But, I mean, going back to, you know, slavery once again. You get the worst part of the pig. You get the chitlins... And you make something out of it. You make it a meal that is tolerable to some. I will, not, hog I will not eat that shit. I'll eat hog malls, but yeah. I will not eat chitlin. So you always are in the sort of the mode of improving the shit that somebody gave you and ch- turning, once again, chicken shit into chicken salad. That's that's my right. my best. That's, that's, that's some good. I thought it was good. I went deep there, folks. I hope you felt that. Did you that's feel that? That's all the way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I went yep. all the way around. Yep. That, was, that was good. And I think you hit it on the nose. Well, thank you. All right, I get it. Good. I appreciate it. Nice. All right, now get your get your story. Oh, story. Yes, big story. Jesse Smollett, the actor with Empire on Empire, the show, um, beaten on in Chicago on his way to get something to eat. Uh, leaving his apartment, going to somewhere to dine, apparently, gets beat, I think costed by at least two men, and uh, attacked, beaten, scratched, hit. Uh, they dumped some sort of chemical on him at some point. Bleach. Bleach. Yeah, bleach. That's it was reported said. as bleach. And put a noose around his neck. It put a, yeah. So, yeah, he, he has a no- gets a noose around his neck, goes back to the apartment with the noose still on his neck. The, the you know Sort of the sidebar to this is that during this beating, they reportedly called him, you know, uh, derogatory, homosexual terms. Wearing a MAGA hat, yelling, this is MAGA country. There you go. So, you have this issue now. As a matter of fact, the latest update, and we always like to update you on the show. The police have, uh, I guess they've gotten photos of people in of interest. Not necessarily yeah. suspects. Just but a couple guys in the area. Yeah, they're circulating these pictures to see if they can get more clues. And, um, you know, we'll throw it in there. Can you turn my headphones down just a oh, smidge? sorry. All right. Um, 
Yeah, so when you when you when you hear this at first, like this sounds like some nineteen fifties Ku Klux Klan shit, you know, MAGA hat, yeah. yelling this is MAGA country, pouring bleach on the guy, putting a noose I mean if this is true, if this is how it went down, death penalty of these guys. Like this sounds like the worst story of all time. Sure. sure. But then Go ahead, dog, and then I'm going to get into it. Oh, it's just a sad situation, mm -hmm. you know, and it seems to be premeditated because what are you rolling around in the car with a noose? Sure. You're rolling yeah. around, yeah. you know, with yeah. bleach and shit like that. Yeah. So basically you were following him. Mm -hmm. And um, just before this, I um, read something where he, you know, downgraded his security. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, before this happened. Mm -hmm. So basically he was getting like threatening um yeah messages letters or whatever have you but uh i just hate to hear anything like terrible happen like this and uh you know i'm gonna pray for uh him and his family man you know what i'm saying because that's just devastating yeah he has actually a show that he's supposed it's to on perform. empire yeah well no oh, he's, he's, he's supposed to perform he's a concert too, right yeah he has and to this moment i don't think he's canceled that no, show. He, he said it's going on yeah well good for him um, again, it gets back to what we said in the last podcast about the MAGA hat and what it's now becoming. Intentionally or not intentionally, and wrong or right, the hat is now being associated with this type of behavior. And so, you know, you got to deal with that. If you're the parents of the, you know, the teenage boy who was, you know, they were at the protest with the Native American man and they're all wearing ma uh, MAGA hats, that's something you have to view as a parent whether or not it's safe for your kids to wear that outside because of what may transpire. And it might be to no fault of your kids. It may have nothing to do with them. But that hat now has taken on a personality. And, and I don't know, it's a negative one so far. And it, I don't think it's over yet. So All right. that's where we are. All right. So I'm going to tread very carefully here. Okay. And let carefully. me first say, if this story happened as reported... These are two terrible human beings, and they should be locked up for life. There's no excuse for that kind of behavior. Sure. And that was my first reaction. Mm -hmm. But now with the story about the MAGA hat kids and now this story, my, my bullshit detector's up a little bit. <laughs> because, you know, you hear all these things, and then some facts start coming out. Number one, Chicago has more cameras than any other city mm -hmm. all over downtown. They use it to clean up gang activities. Uh, catch more criminals than any other city through the, the cameras. Mm -hmm. So, number one, hours of video have been searched, and there's nobody anywhere in that area for hours with a MAGA hat. Yeah. So they're retracting the MAGA hat story. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence of anyone yelling anything MAGA-related. When Jesse called the cops, he asked them to turn off their cameras, and he wouldn't turn over his phone. Mm -hmm. when he went straight home after the attack, mm -hmm. and then 45 minutes after the attack, the cops show up, and he still has the noose around his neck, which seems odd to me. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of theatrics. There's, there's no, the, they didn't catch the the act on tape, even though it was outside in downtown. Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying, my BS meter's up a little bit, and I, that's all I'm going to say about it seems that. Seems like a little drama, which is a little bit dramatic, yeah. a little bit over the top. You know, I will say that when they said they had not. Uh, found photos of folks or had really a trace of anybody that seemed a little strange but it's one of those things that you have to let the investigation bear out and then yes. make yes. a decision we but, should all slow our roll on it yeah let's yeah. just see both, what happens both sides because I, i'm, I'm mm -hmm. seeing on twitter uh you know people on the left doing the same thing they did to these maga hat kids sure and the people on the right are all already going after the victim jesse and you know calling him a liar this that 
We don't know yet. So no. everybody slow slow your roll. Calm down. Yeah. Pump your brakes. There'll be a source. I just don't... And if this happened, again, worst thing ever, but I don't like how the media... And maybe it's because he's a celebrity, but I don't like how the media always sensationalizes these kinds of stories to make it seem like this is a major, major problem in America. I just think it keeps drumming up hate and anger and it causes more of the exact thing they're trying to highlight. Well, no, they, I think they have a responsibility to show it as a problem because it's something that is associated. And again, if it's true that they did their MAGA thing or whatever they did, it's something, like I said, they had his, 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 his own personality now. And the thing is, is as Trump was winning the election, I told my wife, I said, you know, I'm not really worried about what he does in the White House right now. What I'm worried about is the type of people that he empowers, that he may not have intended to empower, but mm -hmm. the type of people that he empowers, yeah. when, when he runs out and he calls uh, someone a name, and it may be racially insensitive or it may be sexually insensitive or whatever, you're empowering a small, hopefully, a small group of people to go out and do the same thing because, quote, their president said it and they should be able to say it too. And, th and that's their thought. So the thing is, I think the news is responsible, it's, it's their responsibility to show it. It's also their responsibility to investigate and find out the exact truth, what exactly happened during this attack, and report the facts, you know, fair in a fair and balanced way, without any kind of impartiality. Yeah. So that's really what I think. Um, we just have, again, we, we got to get in more into the pumping of the brakes when these things happen. Obviously, he was assaulted. I, I, well, he's injured and, and assaulted. And if it, it all happened like you said it did, it is a terrible thing and unspeakable. But let it play out before we make a decision. Um, I think the news has a responsibility in that way, but they also have to stay true to their responsibility by telling the truth. I, I got two comments on what you said. Sure. Um, number one, whether you love Trump or hate him, mm -hmm. there's no denying that under his watch, um, America has uh, gotten more contentious with one another. Mm -hmm. And as the president, some of that has to fall on his shoulders. Sure. You, there's no getting around that. Yeah. Okay. Some of that is his fault. He's the president. Mm -hmm. The same. The same when Obama was in the White House, contention rose. Some of that's on him. Mm -hmm. It's gotten worse under Trump, no doubt. Number two, what I was talking about as the way the media portrays this is I, I did a little digging in the FBI uh, statistics last mm -hmm. night mm -hmm. about this because I feel like these stories come out all the time and it's like trying to, to show white people hate black people, which I don't think is <laughs> what's going on in this country. Yeah. So I saw from 1999 to 2012, mm -hmm. um, let, me, let me get the statistic right, uh, Black men are one-fifth of the population as white men, mm -hmm. right? However, you are three, 15 times as likely as a white man to be the victim of a violent crime from a black man mm -hmm. than you are to be the victim of a violent crime as a black man from a white man. Mm -hmm. So it's happening both ways. And you never hear these other stories. They're, they're projecting this false narrative mm -hmm. that... that White people are still going after black people like it's 1950s in Alabama. And that's just, it's not the reality. But we There's can't all... pull that stuff up there, Manny. What do you mean we can't we pull can't, that up? We can't pull up like how white people have been going after black people for years and years and years. We can't put that in. Well, yeah, white people, yeah, yeah, we're doing that for years and years and years. Yeah, no yeah. doubt did some horrible, atrocious hate crimes against that's black people. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No mm -hmm. doubt. But I... 
it's definitely gotten better from the 50s and 60s. Right. And there are still, there are, sure, there's still some hate crimes, white-on-black hate crimes. Mm -hmm. That still exists. Yeah. But there's more, statistically, black-on-white hate crimes. There's always going to be hate crimes. Right. Well, Let's yeah, not, I don't like seeing them projected as if it's just white people doing this. Okay, and question. So you said these are hate crimes that they categorize. They're, they're more black-on-white hate crimes? I didn't say hate crimes. I well, said violent violence. crimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the thing is, it's it's apples and oranges. They they're talking about hate crimes and the crimes I'm guessing against black and white have probably have to do with your you know usually usual laundry list of crimes. Your you know a breaking entering, your assault, your right. robbery, yes. what have you. You're right. And so that's why it you know and the thing right. is don't you're right. But but does that make it better? No. Uh, it, a violent crime is a hateful sure. crime. And right. and it shows we've been sort of desensitized to you know you look at. Uh, you look at a, a horrible accident, and they say, okay, five people died. And you say, oh, man, only five people died. And you're like, wait, did I just say that? Like, five people? That's serious. That's serious business. But no, there is some de desensitization because of our current surroundings, our video game play where we're, we're playing Grand Theft Auto and killing each other and, you know, that sort of thing. So that desensitizes us toward crime and murder and that sort of thing. The thing that still gets people is the racial issue and when they say it's a news business, it is a news business. They're going to put on, on TV what they think drives their advertisement exactly. dollars and so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah. So that's why you do have those issues of years ago, Tamir Rice and Eric Garner and, um, uh, you know, the various black uh, uh, law enforcement crimes. Of course, I'm happy that they got the, the spotlight, but don't think that CNN and the other media sources were like, oh, we're doing this solely to help with race relations, there is an yeah. advertising dollar Absolutely. behind all that. Definitely. Yeah, the, the, the expression, if it bleeds, it leads. Sure. Right, that's true. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, okay, if, if a little pretty white girl goes missing, mm -hmm. that blows up the news so, more so than some little black girl in the projects. Yeah. It's because uh, there's more white viewers and they're more interested in that. It, it drives more eyeballs. That's wrong, but mm -hmm. that's the truth. It's the same thing with the the hate crimes of whites perpetrated on blacks that's going to move the needle more yeah so that yeah the news organizations have pretty much no integrity so know that when you're, i when would you're watching. say no integrity there are standards they have to well, maintain well, but going in that in that in that line of thinking yeah. why, why when a little black girl in compton goes missing do does it get no coverage but sure a pretty little girl blonde girl in florida does and that's all you yeah. hear on the news for a year yeah no that in that regard yeah there there's still a mystery well it's not really a mystery but <laughs> there's a perceived mystery as to why that doesn't receive coverage it's no mystery but, it's what it's but, what yeah. moves the needle and it's the same with reporting these these hate crimes sure white on black that's what moves the needle agreed. all right that's all i have to say about that so yeah slow your roll let's see what happens here agreed um also kate hudson actress daughter of goldie goldie Hawn, uh recently had a daughter and caught some flack because it appeared that she said she was going to raise this little girl to be like genderless meaning you know there'd be no pink uh, pajamas they're sort of you know wearing gray i don't know fatigues or whatever as a kid um people reacted and then she had to clarify and say and basically said that uh she didn't really clarify it she sort of said the same what, thing what was her original comment um, well, this is the first I'm hearing of this. Yeah, let me, uh, I gotta dig it up here. Hold on one second. I had it on my book, but then now it's gone. Um, we'll cut through this. Uh, or I could just give you some G Love freestyle raps to fill, fill yeah, the we'll, air. Yeah, we'll do that. You want no. that? No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, we're good. She said, uh, let's see here. Uh, she wants to raise her kids. This is her clarification. 
She just uh, would try to raise her kids to be good people with the best tools to face the crazy world. Um, she accused the, uh, the original story of being clickbait um, because he, she never meant to say that her daughter was going to be raised genderless. She thinks it's silly and doesn't even make sense. Um, but she also said that she continues to raise her children, both boys and girls, to feel free, be exactly who they want to be. And, uh, and she said her, when she did say the genderless approach, was a way of focusing conversation in a direction that could exist outside the female stereotype. Right. So nothing he, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong, but you gotta just be careful what you say. That's the, yeah. <laughs> that's the the key to this. Well, story. what was she the original? The right, she has the right to raise her children the way she wants to. Yeah, she, as long as you're not abusing them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess originally she was trying to say that she's not going to push female stereotypes on her daughter, and instead of just saying that, she said something about genderless, and that's what got people clicking because that was later. An excerpt of that was later put out, and then people reacted, as was the intention. So. Yeah, well, people are a little too sensitive these days. And that, sure. You know, I always make fun of the left for being too sensitive, but people on the right are too sensitive, too. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what she said. Mm -hmm. uh, she's saying she's, she's not going to raise her kids according to stereotypes. I don't like when people start coming out and suggesting that there's no difference between little boys and little girls and mm -hmm. that gender's a construct, because that's just not science. That's not fact. Yeah. But to say you're not going to raise your daughter to be a little princess or nothing wrong with that, you know? No, I think, you know, like I said, I think there's got to be common sense involved in it. I think a lot of the clothing and other stuff that people are talking about in terms of girl clothing, boy clothing is done to where as a parent, you don't have to spend the first three months telling people, oh no, it's a girl. Oh no, it's a boy. Shit, my, my, <laughs> so, my kid's nine and I'm still telling people, no, it's a, it's a boy. Yeah, try to explain that away. But that that's it. I think the message there... You got to be careful what you say, especially in this uh, social media world. And uh, they, the social media people did exactly what social media people do. They put it on and it did become clickbait and it did generate excitement, which was the intended purpose. Yeah. So uh, I think that's all we have for this show, you guys. Yeah. You guys got anything else? Shout out to Jackie Robinson, 100th birthday. Yeah, oh, wow. Jackie. Jackie. Yeah. We, you know, not enough is said about him. He, uh... You know, to be able to get in that Dodger uniform, take the heat, do what he did on the field. Um, you know, he ended up. I think he ended up dying relatively young, and probably because of the stress. But we appreciate Jackie. Appreciate, excuse me. Appreciate you. He's Jackie a hometown Robinson. kid. That's right. And that's right. UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. Appreciate the Dodgers for giving you that shot. It's historic. It'll always be historic. And uh, that's all I got to say. As far as uh, historical black leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you don't want to rank him, but where does he fall in the important scale? Ah, man. So I guess he's even in the top ten. No. Well, you, I mean, because you got to get through the civil rights people first, because uh, that you're talking about well, change. Civil rights, maybe. Well, it's, it's civil rights, but to play baseball, you got to go past. Okay, the, athletes wise, is he athletes above wise. or behind Muhammad Ali? No, he's behind. Muhammad. No, he's got to be ahead of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was about you know your right. Not you know basically to choose not to fight in a war that you had. No, well, that's pretty important. A monster, it is, but not more. Well, Muhammad Ali was a monster. No, he's a monster. It's tough. That's a tough one. If you yeah. had, because Jackie was more quiet spoken. Yeah, in terms Behind of, him, I think I think Jackie definitely dealt with more hate. Yeah, didn't he? I think probably. Yeah. I mean, you guys are old. You remember? Yeah, 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 old enough to remember that, right? Yeah, no, I think you still got to give the edge to Jackie just because of the time, the time of it yeah. is still. You know, 40s racism is a lot different than 60s and 70s racism. You know, 40s and 50s racism is a lot tougher. 
So I, I give the edge to Jackie. But obviously, you don't want to put one ahead of the other. They're both awesome. And the Muhammad Ali thing, and I'll just go ahead and I'll riff on this real quick. I don't know how people forgive Muhammad Ali and then talk shit about Colin Kaepernick. Because isn't the same thing like Muhammad no, it's, Ali? It's, it's different. How's it different? Um, Colin, Colin Kaepernick was trying to do a good thing and stand up for black people, but his sure. message got mixed in, it, in that it seemed he was protesting soldiers. Um, Muhammad Ali was flat out protesting war. Sure. He's very clear about his measures. There's no confusion there. Well, the thing is, you're... And he got shit for that, just like, yeah. you know, probably 20, 30 years from now, Colin Kaepernick will be reviled as a hero. Well, that's the thing. Why do we have to wait 30 years? Because that, that's only, how it is. The only criticism you're giving him is basically his PR strategy. Yeah. And the, and the message, more or less, is similar. It's the same, you know, fighting for rights, the ability to speak up for yourself, that sort of thing. But that's my problem with... One of my problems with the whole Kaepernick thing is that People forgave Ali 30 years later. He yeah. became the greatest That's of all what time. happens, man. And now we got to wait. And, and, Look, you know, when, you're, when you're fighting for social change or any kind of change, you're going to get shit on. That, yeah. That's why it's a fight. Mm -hmm. So it takes historical context to review that and decide whether you were fighting the good fight or not. Yeah, but we're all dealing with people who are, for the most part, around when Ali was around. So they should, people should know from the past, they wait. We've seen this movie already. We already know how this is going to end. This guy's doing the right thing. Can we get off his back and maybe let him play football? Look, man, or do whatever? people are dummies. If yeah, you know that okay. right now. I'll, I'll agree with that. <laughs> All right, everyone. Plus, the NFL oh, yeah. is the sacred cow. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I mean, I get I it. I guess it's, boxing was at the time, too. Well, that's so. the thing. Right. It's the same movie. We've already seen this. Yeah. We've already seen that. you got to wait 30 years, and then, oh, you know what? After all, Kaepernick was right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Let's, let's get with it, people. Come on. Let the man kneel if he wants to kneel. Let Jesus. him kneel. All right, everybody. I got that out. Um, enjoyed you guys' company once again. I hope you enjoyed ours. Uh, we, I guess, will be back tomorrow oh god damn we got another one joy villa oh Matt, the mag address girl what a what a perfect oh, time to get her oh wow here we go she's gonna have a lot to say they're working folks they're working but again we'll be back tomorrow joy via is it villa or via, it's via. Not, i'm not sure we should probably get that right it's via long. it's, a, it's yeah. a latino spelling two l is a e she's like, not latino she's white and black but if it's, is it Villa or Via? I thought it was Via. All right, we'll, we'll get that all straight, straightened out by the time we interview her, hopefully. Um, you guys have any parting words? Hey, man, keep the questions coming. I appreciate everybody. Awesome. And you already told us, told them where they can meet us on Facebook. I did. A long ass time ago. Okay. Don't cool. do drugs, people, except the right ones. Take care of yourself. Take care of your kids. Take care of your family. We'll God be back bless. soon. Peace. Peace.
Children cry.